up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. It's been a while, Dave. It's been a while because I've been out of the country, man. Welcome back. I'm glad to have you. Yeah, man. Had my head in the clouds on an airplane while listening to the new 88 Rising album, Head in the Clouds too. So uh, no, no days off, even when you're on vacation. How's it going? We're going to be talking that, that new album and a lot of TV slash, I guess, a TV movie today. Um, but before we jump into it, hit that subscribe if you're on YouTube and go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to listen to the pod all the ways. Also, go on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at nostalgiapod uh, where we post about things we don't talk about here on the podcast. As you alluded to, Dave, 88 Rising, Head in the Clouds 2. Um, so, 88 Rising is uh, a group we, we, I think, have been very high on since their, what, their last album? Their two albums ago? When, when How many have we reviewed so far? Uh, one label album last year, mm-hmm. but before that we were talking about Rich Brian and then Joji and then Higher Brothers, Joji. you know, acts on the, yeah. on the label. So, we've reviewed a fair amount of the recent output from 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 the uh, from the label, and that's because we generally seem to like what they do. So I'm happy to keep talking about them. Yeah, and uh, EDA Rising, you know, obviously the artists we mentioned, uh, they're an Asian collective, Asian label, um, and they've been putting out some really quality stuff. And Head in the Clouds too, I think, continues that mold. However, um, one of the things I really liked about their first album was it was very varied. Uh, there was a lot of different tempo sounds, just energies coming from it. And listening to Head in the Clouds 2, it seemed like this was uh, basically the the chill pop version <laughs> of 88 Rising for the most part. Um, how did you feel about this follow-up to Head in the Clouds? Yeah, I found it pretty striking that this is sonically a continuation of the pivot rich brian did earlier this year on the sailor where there's a lot more uh alt pop a lot more uh singing from a guy who came up as a rapper and then everyone else is kind of filling in making similar music obviously that's what that's the kind of music joji's been making this whole time and some of the uh i think feature players on the label like uh, nikki seem to really shine because they're given a lot yep. to do uh this time around and I think Higher Brothers more uh, fold in this time, just kind of melting into the background and, and all that. But they also did acquit themselves well on Midsummer Madness, which is a bit of a, a pop hit from the first uh, label album last year. So I'm surprised that they really committed to this whole direction, but I also can't blame them because I think it really works. So it's, uh, and then when they do actually go to more traditional hip hop from the, the rappers in the group, it, uh, is even more striking because it's uh, just less frequent this time around. But I, I liked it overall. Yeah, it's. I think it's very obvious that Rich Brian and Joji uh, head this label and have a lot of say in the direction that things go. Um, especially the songs where Joji like sings on it. It really seemed to stand out that he had his fingerprints on those songs. And just kind of scrolling through, I see Rich Brian here on like two four five songs maybe in total um but his presence felt like it was there throughout um and i agree i think it works really well even though it is it does feel a little samey in terms of energy for a lot of the album um i think it's all really quality and you know like a song like indigo with nikki who you talked about seems to be um, a track that i think you can point to where there's this definite like direction that this album was going um and maybe they wanted to make it more in line with the title. You know, they made it this kind of like, I don't know, cruising in the clouds, like mm-hmm. just kind of like chilling, hanging out type vibe. Um, but Nikki brings it throughout this album whenever she pops up. And uh, I, I just, I really can't say enough good about this label because I feel like not only are they um, representing, uh, you know, a bunch of really talented artists, but they also seem to have a vision when they're all working together and they're making uh, a collective album seem pretty cohesive, which is a challenge. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think there's some 
be some high-profile guests this time around too. There wasn't really that many guests on the last mm-hmm. one. Uh, you got uh, the first track, "These Nights," which I think really sets the tone for the songs we're yeah. talking about. Features uh, Chung Ha, who's a really huge K-pop artist. That's quite the collab, to be honest. You know, Rich Brian kind of legitimizing himself over on the Asian side of things because yes, he's from Indonesia, but he did not really have a career in Asia. He blew up here in the States. So that is kind of cool to see. Um, also gold link on tequila sunrise, I think kind of continuing what we heard from gold link on uh, his album earlier this year, uh, diaspora just kind of showing that he can fit on more dancey stuff despite being a really technical rapper. That was really cool. And then Sway Lee just kind of uh, playing the hits on walking, just doing the, yeah. uh, you know, the recent Drake collab song, unforgettable Swaycation, all the, you know, the uh, R and B sway that we've come to come to know from him. Uh, and I think all these features work pretty well, but even the lesser known people like uh, Barney bones, I think actually has mm-hmm. uh, some decent spots later on in the album as well. So, uh, there's there's just a lot of clear or like artistic intent with this album, both like you know these strategic features, and then just really honing in on the sound of the label. You know they, they they've done tours, I think one or two tours, and they have the A Rising Festival they've been doing in LA, and mm-hmm. it's just really cool that even though they're not really a group or a collective, they're really just all signed together and have a you know the Asian identity that they all have in common. They all seem to be on the same page. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. What were the um, standout tracks for you? Uh, yeah, I really like These Nights, Kill Sunrise. Uh, you mentioned Indigo with Nikki. I thought she really yeah. crushed that. Uh, and then Hopscotch right after Indigo, just because that's just like mm-hmm. a fucking trap banger. And yeah. you don't expect to hear one of those uh, yep. when you get listen to the first nine tracks. And it's also a good yeah. trap banger. That's, that song hits. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, I also really liked I Just Use Music again, um, which uh, I think will probably be uh, a song you hear a lot of uh, EDM artists flip or sample uh, or remix. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I Love You 3000, just a nice little shout out to the <laughs> Avengers and Iron Man there. So I uh, appreciated that. Um, but yeah, 88 Rising, check them out. We're going to put one or two songs onto our Nostalgia Best of 2019 playlist. Um, and we're going to move on to a TV show, which if you haven't checked out yet, um, we don't know what you're doing. So Mr. Robot season four premiere, Dave Elliot's back, man. But the premiere, uh, sets the stakes pretty quickly with a high profile character death right in the opening scene. Yeah. The continuation of, uh, the last scene that character was in uh-huh. at the end of season three. Of course, which was way back in uh, what, December 2017, I believe it yeah. was. Was it December? Yeah, it's almost two years ago. Uh, did not expect that coming, but you know, once they have it happen, and right before this lead up, or obviously we're talking about uh, Angela Moss, Porch Doubleday gets killed by the Dark Army, and when Price is like, "I wish you wouldn't have said that," it takes like another like minute and a half for her to get got. And there's like, yep. it just kind of creates this tension. Like, are they really going to kill Angela right now? And yes, yes, they do. And uh, they haven't shied away from killing characters before, but she would be the most high profile one to date, right? For sure. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I you know, th- reflecting on it, I think her character uh, probably served its purpose narratively. I'm not really sure where we could have continued to take her. Then again, Mr. Robot, um, it's really tough to predict any of the plot. So I'm sure something Sam could have thought of something. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, unexpected on my end, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think Angela's, uh, Angela kind of served as like a beacon of hope, I think, for all the characters, especially her relationship with Elliot. You know, there was a bit, there was like an underlying like romance or affection there between them, but also just this idea that there, this was a person who, Ellie, I think, found some redemption in and some real connection with in this world. And the first season, very much about like self discovery and connection and feeling isolated while also kind of navigating this topsy turvy hacker world that you're in. But then 
season three really i think started to move towards this is a tragedy this story is going to be uh not not going to end well right. for many of the characters and angela dying in the opening scene i think sets the tone for the season that um well i think there's still gonna be a lot of high moments for um elliot throughout the season and, and mr robot and uh darlene but i think in the end we know that most of them are probably moving towards uh not a great ending um so uh overall i really liked the uh the first episode and second episode in a way i think uh brings in a little bit more of that human element you know where elliot and darlene are talking about their uh dealing with their mother's death and how that impacts them and their relationship um you start to see some of like the the paranoia playing out in with Elliot and like his his focus and his his battle with Mr. Robot. Um, so there, there's a lot of the old themes kind of playing out there and, and coming back into this. But yeah, really impressive start to season four uh, with the premiere. What did you think of the whole like uh, Elliot hacking the lawyer and basically being like this like I don't know uh, escape uh, scene for twenty minutes. Oh yeah, I thought that was great. Um, just watching this whole extended, uh, extended chase, I guess. Yeah, uh, in Grand Central, of all yeah. places. You know, we know the show takes place in New York City. It's never shied away from that. It's always looked good as a New York setting. But I was just thinking, like, how the fuck did you film this in Grand Central? That place never, never dies. Like, did you make do that shit at like four in the morning? Had or to. all those, or all those extras show up? Like you, clo- like you can't close that place down. How the hell did they shoot that? Um, <laughs> I have no idea. But it looked, it looked, it looked really cool and maintained the tension because you know, I think they've established that Elliot. Um, a lot of times he's gotten this far more due to chance and luck, mm-hmm. and not that he's like he's never come across like a superhero. So they show once again that yeah, he could not protect that that dude he was trying to blackmail at all. Right. And sure enough, he, in the end, uh, later in the episode, he couldn't really protect himself, uh, you mm-hmm. know. And I like that they do that with Elliot because because he's so brilliant as a hacker, and because of with the Mister Robot side to him, uh, also quite the mastermind of sorts. I think it's important to try and ground uh, the plot when you can, and I think that was a good way to do that one, which again also looked great and had great tension. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the, and the Dark Army in general with uh, White Rose is just such a uh, tantalizing threat the whole time. You know, there's, there's still a lot of mystery about them, what they want, what they, uh, how they do things, but uh, really engaging whenever they're involved. So, yeah, I love that shit. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned um, the end of episode one where, uh, the Dark Army has kidnapped Elliot and they're basically setting it up to look like an overdose and they're going to kill him. Uh, shout out to Sam Eshmael, who <laughs> is the guy that injects him with the the heroin for the overdose. And then they, it cuts to credits as Elliot sees his life flash before his eyes. Um, and then the credits end pretty quickly. And what was it Price or was it Eshmael that like uh, gave him the Narcan spray? Uh, I think it was Eshmael, and then Price said, uh, welcome back. Yeah. So definitely uh, a, a putting the deck on the table uh, move for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought I thought that scene was a great way to wrap up the first episode. And then the second episode starts giving you a lot of background on to um, who White Rose is. It gives you a little bit more of what his plan is and what he's going for, or she's going for. I, you know, the, the pronouns change depending on... Uh, the identity white rose is taking on at that time but um Mm -hmm. really interesting i thought the the montage was done really great um and more than anything i think what we've appreciated about this show is not only is it a really intriguing plot but it's shot beautifully eshmael uses such unique camera framing and and angles and lighting it's just a pleasure to look at and he does the those montages so well like there's the one where I forgot where they're talking about like cheaters or something like that in society. And they're like cutting through all the people. And like, I think they like showed Tom Brady at one point or something like that in there. And mm. like, that was from like a past season, but they just do a really good job of incorporating like recent events with like all these other sure. pieces to it and really creates a world. And Eshmael's just, he's a master man. So uh, I'm here for season four. Any, any predictions or anything you're looking forward to? 
Oh, I've jeez, I have no no hard way of pre- predicting anything. It's hard, really hard to say, but you know, Mr. Robot season one widely celebrated Rami Malek revelation. That was back mm-hmm. in twenty fifteen, right? And then season two, uh, a bit in the weeds and indulgent and lost a lot of people. And then it felt like season three, which me and you loved and talked plenty about how much we did. Uh, the fanfare just not did not catch back up. So I'm really hoping mm-hmm. that with Rami Malek's uh, profile risen and even Sam's, I guess, as well, you know, following up Homecoming and all that. Uh, yep. I really hope this show gets kind of the coverage it deserves for its final season just because Sam deserves tons of credit. And he usually, you know, people don't forget about this or anything, but like really influencing the this auteur driven TV wave we've had. And, you know, we've talked about like Kerry Fukunawa is in the same boat there. And uh, even if the plot is almost besides the point in certain instances, even though there's a lot of it, uh, Sam's just whole uh, presence with the whole, every, every aspect of the show down to the writing, the story. And as you mentioned, all the technical aspects of the filming uh, is just really uncommon in TV, even like big prestige TV, even HBO TV. So it's, uh, you know, just, it just, I think it's just worth people's time because, you know, you don't get this often. You should reward this type of, uh, you know, this type of art on TV, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, where the, where the politics go, because this is probably one of the more political, dramas we have on tv like sam has never shied away from his personal politics but the show takes place in what 2015 i believe yep like it is it's explicitly dated yeah, yeah explicitly dated in the past but it's in uh you know like, like trump's america alter alternate take obviously and has not been afraid about commenting on things you know like righteous gemstones for example has taken a little bit of heat for not actually going after contemporary evangelicals, right? Mm-hmm. But whereas Mr. Robot uh, really doesn't pull any punches no. when it's dystopian politics. So uh, I'm sure it's going to be a whirlwind of a season and can't wait to see my boy Joy Badass come in. Yep. Leon, I know he was filming. Um, he literally missed his uh, Hot 97 interview promoting the Beast Coast album because he was filming the show. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm really stoked to see where this, where this goes because it's just a show that I think is just really special and got a little lost the time, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I hope I, I agree. I hope people catch back on to this or if they haven't caught up, like get back into it because uh, I'm sad that this show is leaving. It's probably one of my favorites to follow. If nothing else um, that it's just been a pleasure just to look at, you know, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about succession a little bit where, this final the season finale of succession, I think had some of the best shots of the year um, in television, but robot has two or three every year that you're just kind of like, wow, like how did they do that? Um, also I'm interested to see how they reconcile the whole robot Elliot thing. Um, because even in the second episode, they talk a little bit about um, how Elliot feels like he's still shut out sometimes when Mr. Robot takes over and uh, it's it, how those two reconcile their the inner workings of Elliot is going to be really interesting so tune in if you haven't been or catch up if you are behind because robot last season worth it we're going to talk about as you just talked as you just alluded to royal gemstone season one talked about the first episode um hour long and then they moved to the half hour episodes after (laughs) that that was something we were a little bit skeptical about and I'm glad that they did move to the half hour. Um, overall, I felt like this first season of Gemstones was a bit up and down. Um, I, I felt like there were a couple episodes that were pretty forgettable and then some some moments and lines and things that happened that I think are going to be uh, burned into my memory forever in good ways and bad. Um, <laughs> but overall, I especially the second half of the season, I thought really picked up. Um, the last like three or four, I thought like I, I had no idea where it was going at any point. Mm-hmm. I thought they really hit their stride. Um, How did you feel about Gemstone season one? Yeah, I I really quite enjoyed it. Uh, and we talked about with the premiere that they didn't really waste any time with the setup of you know exploring the mystery, the 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 blackmailing that the, the show leads up to. You know, 
um, the, the twister explored or, or, or told to the audience early on regarding uh, the sun being involved and uh, uh, the blackmailers meeting McBride and Co. in the first episode and really, really advancing the plot quickly. So I, I, I was happy they didn't get too bogged down. But ultimately, you're not watching a Danny McBride and Jody Hill production for the plot mechanics. You're watching it for the Ridiculous. Uh, the hangs uh, yeah. with and you're just hanging out with uh, like like their past work, just assholes. Generally, I think that's just the best way to describe at least the characters uh, McBride plays, and they're really good at doing that. Um, it's just generally a good hang, funny time, and this time around, Rice Gemstones, the window dressing is really really rich because it's this uh, aloof evangelical tele- televangelist millionaire situation right and that in and of itself i think really can hit a lot of chords because it's based in reality here here in the u.s of past of, of that very that very phenomenon and then having it just be totally lampooned uh is, is a good time and then when you have Wolfgang goggins come in again a veteran of mcbrian hill shows with vice principals having him come in and just throw 100 the whole time uh, is hilarious. And then when you have like one-off moments, like the, uh, the flashback episode, you know, and the misbehaving song, uh, there's just a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of funny things to kind of like grab onto with this show. And again, you're, you're not looking at, for looking to McBride and Hill for like grand statements. And as I said before, they, don't, they shy away from any kind of judgment on evangelical Christians. But I think that's okay because ultimately it's just a really good time. And that's what we are watching for with these guys. So I liked it a lot. Yeah. I don't mind a comedy that doesn't feel like it needs to be a philosophy show as well. Like it can just take a funny, ridiculous concept that allows them to, you know, make fun of the lavishness and the um, exuberance that, these people have and kind of make fools of them and i'm okay with that uh i think the person that stood out to me the most in this season was edie patterson yeah um he's great basically gets to play like yeah she basically just gets to play this uh very childish arrested development type Mm -hmm. uh sycophant what middle-aged woman yeah exactly um and her relationship with bj was probably some of my favorite moments throughout the season. And BJ just himself was fucking hilarious. Uh, when he got, when he says he's edgy now and he got the earring, I like, I think I was crying laughing on my couch. I thought that was so funny. Um, also the fact that they kept meeting in like Outback Steakhouses to like talk about their relationship was just so ridiculous and funny to me. Right. Um, <laughs> but just overall, the uh, I thought each character got a lot of great moments and the interesting piece for me was um, where I felt like the show really caught its stride was when Danny McBride got to not be so much of a dick. As, I mean, mm-hmm. he's a, still a dick throughout, but when he actually got to have a relationship with his son and like be sincere and loving towards him, I felt like the show really shifted and took it in a good way um, and created a lot of uh, underlying conflict and dynamics that really brought a lot more to the show than just him being Kenny Powers throughout the whole thing. Right. Yeah, I agree because I think they do, they've always, they do a really good job of laying that groundwork to pay off in the future. And it's ultimately really satisfying. I don't think anything is overly surprising about where the story goes, but I think that's just okay when it, when it, uh, it's kind of orchestrated uh, to this level of success. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I did find surprising was when um, the stuntman comes to the house. I thought that was like super ballsy. I didn't expect mm-hmm. that. Um, <laughs> and then when he's, uh, when what's his name, Jesse is looking at him and it's like, you know what, you look so familiar to me. He's like, I played uh, like serial <laughs> killer on SVU for like, a three episode arc he's like no nah, i don't watch anything that <laughs> <laughs> i forgot what he said i don't watch anything that involves solving crimes or something like that <laughs> or, or figuring shit out i was like that's fucking like so perfect for that character 
Um, also, when he when Jesse calls all of his friends and their wives together <laughs> to watch the video because he wants to feel absolved of all of his sins or uh, whatever right. he said, mm-hmm. that that scene too was so hilarious. Not only like the the two kids being <laughs> the two kids of the dad who you get like you see his like tiny little dick, um, but also just like <laughs> the reaction all of the guys had throughout was just like it, it was killing me um I, I really thought this show had a lot of good moments and you mentioned walton goggins who man i mean i i for someone that wasn't like a main character in the show right in the beginning and kind of comes in like two or three episodes later i feel like he steals the show in a lot of ways like every scene with him like you said is electric and uh I think especially uh, Baby Billy is a character that people are going to remember at the end of the year when they talk about some of the characters of the year. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's been renewed for season two. So we'll be back. Looking forward to it. Um, Why don't we move on to Succession? Number one boys. (laughs) Um, We talked about Succession's first episode. um, And Succession season one, uh, at the top of our end of year list last year. Um, just a real delight, uh, you know, a show that I think took uh, a couple episodes to catch its stride, but once it did, it was just boom, boom, boom. Episode, episode that was everybody was talking about. Um, and that it seemed to reach another level this year. You know, it, season one seemed to be like, oh, this show's pretty interesting. There's a lot here. I think they this can become something. And season two was like, okay, this is this is t this is excellent television. This is something that's riveting. Um, it's something people talk about. It's memeable. It hit basically everything you need for a television show to really uh, become super uber popular. Um, and I think it did because uh, pretty much Sunday nights when the show was on. All I saw was people on Twitter talking about this. And obviously Twitter is not necessarily a gauge for what's really mm-hmm. popular, but I think the discussion around the show is evidence enough of how good it is. How did you feel about season two? Oh yeah. I, I, I love season two. I think it was a clear step up for a show that already was so great. And, you know, season one we thought was under nominated at the Emmys last month still won for writing for Jesse Armstrong fully expecting season two with Thrones now gone Veep now gone expecting succession to be HBO's HBO's golden goose at the end number one boy the number one boy Uh, (laughs) a lot of noms are coming for this show and for good reason because as you said it kind of has the whole package it's really funny you can watch this show for the jokes for the memes Mm -hmm. no context succession phenomenal account yep. would follow. <laughs> uh, but what I like most about the show, I think the strongest aspect of the show is ultimately the drama, the the writing and the, the plot mechanics because it's it's it, it's so fulfilling because it, it continues to just pay off of the journey we've been on since season one. It's just all these people, which are all varying degrees of shitty, uh, deplorable, and their relationships with each other and how generally badly they treat each other is just riveting stuff constantly. Yeah. And when there are when they're moments of cringe or uh, you know anxiety on the show, you really feel that shit. And season two just had episode after episode, set piece after set piece that you just like can't look away from, right? Yeah. I'm just thinking of like Turnhaven, when we meet the Pierce family, and we have that dinner scene. Yeah. Uh, later on, our Jesties at that like retreat scene, mm-hmm. our retreat retreat setting for all the business people. Yeah. Uh, later on, uh, DC, where Tom is getting roasted alive in front of Congress. Um, th- there's just so much here, and then and then we we get Holly Hunter as Rhea Jarrell just coming yeah. in and just being another awesome presence on the show. Uh, there's just so much to like, and I really, frankly, I really love where most of the characters got, uh, you know, there's definitely a big shiv season. I think she, she was the biggest, um, winner in terms of, you know, just like using screen time, getting a lot of it and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but ro- a lot of Roman progression this, this season, yes. obviously after the finale, a lot, lot look, look forward to with Kendall. Um, mm-hmm. and even Tom, I think is, uh, 
changing as well. And uh, shout out to con heads with Connor, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Phenom- phenomenal stuff, man. You didn't even mention Greg who went from basically homeless at the beginning of the season to right. having like a super nice apartment. And he's now a boss on, now. <laughs> yeah. He's, he played a major role in, uh, the, the attempt or to take Logan down that Kendall is, uh, trying to execute here, cutting off the mm-hmm. head, so to speak. Yeah. You, it, you know, for a show that <clears throat> is, it really boils down to the characters in the room and, it's i saw a tweet where it said uh succession what it does is it proves that if the writing is there all you need for a television show to be interesting is good dialogue and characters in a room together and it's it's true like this show embodies that and pretty much all it is is people in a, in a room i think the only episode i can think about where that wasn't the case was where kendall was stuck on long island trying to get back to um, undercut Logan and, and take control of the company in season one. Um, constantly, this is just people sitting around talking, trying to make deals, trying to backstab each other, figure shit out. It's incredibly riveting, but they also go to such interesting destinations and oh, are yeah. in such interesting situations that you talk about. I mean, you mentioned Turnhaven, you uh, mentioned uh, Argestes. Uh, is that how? Yeah. Yeah. Argestes. Um, but even like uh, the summer palace to start the season off, you know, with uh, the three raccoons stuffed up the chimney. Oh, right. Um, Forgot. And and the last episode is on this huge yacht in Greece. Like it's, it's always really interesting, really beautiful. Uh, um, And you talk about all these characters stepping up. Um, Shiv, obviously to I agree is the MVP just in terms of how much she's leveled up and how much her uh, will she, won't she become the CEO or the successor for Logan drove a lot of the plot. Um, But I I found Roman's character development to be by far the most interesting because not only do you see him exploring like his issues with Jerry in a very Mm -hmm. sick and sadistic way, but (laughs) then at the end of the season, you actually see him like, uh, talking about his like desire to like have real relationships with his siblings and ha- be able to be vulnerable with them. And you see him wanting to be protective of Kendall when uh, they talk about how he's going to take the, the hit, be the skull right. sacrifice. It's really, really cool. And then of course you talk about Tom who uh, is basically a very passive person. And then finally stands up to Shiv at the right. end and, is pretty open and I guess also kind of stands up to Logan by eating his chicken. I'm not, I'm not sure what that was going for, but uh, really, really just <laughs> he ate my aw- chicken. <laughs> just awesome stuff overall. Um, any, any like moments, shots, lines that really stand out to you? Oh man. Um, God. I mean, the show is a quote machine in general. Um, we know they, they do lots of takes they shoot lots of coverage, um, fair amount of improv, but I mean, yeah, Ro- Rome for sure has lots of cutting ass lines, usually just fucking breaking people down. But even like, I'm trying to think like something like the, 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 the shit, like that Tom or Kendall would say to Greg, just like offhand because they're used to being rich. Unlike Greg, um, <laughs> there's just so much funny shit, you know? And I, I think what's, what's good about the show is it never forgets, to show you that these people are obnoxiously wealthy and don't know what it's like to be a real person. And a lot of times that this comes out mm-hmm. in the dialogue, which makes for really funny or uh, intriguing conversation, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the thing they do so well is you still care about these characters, even though they are all pieces of shit. I mean, uh, Shiv, who probably is the most redeemable out of them all. Um, right tampered with a witness this season and pretty much convinced a victim of sexual abuse to not come forward. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty evil shit. And yeah, you still, she also picked, she also picked her dad over her husband. Yep. Um, <laughs> which I guess kind of tracks given how she's treated Tom to this point. But, you know, I mean, going in, you know, these people just, you know, trying to theorize like what's, what, what is, what is this plot of the show going to be? 
season one's all about Kendall trying to depose Logan. Is season two going to be about maybe someone else stepping up to do that, perhaps Shiv or Roman, right? And even though this was a big Shiv season, by the finale, it's back to Kendall. And Logan was so integral to season two. Uh, truly a main character. He's not incapacitated for any of this, right? And I actually like really enjoyed Brian Cox's his presence on the show mm-hmm. and in terms of how he affects everything. But the fact that they really upended everything by the end of the finale with Kendall truly and, and Greg just truly breaking off from the rest of the Royce and lighting a fire under them, knowing we have this the sphere of Kendall committing man, vehicular manslaughter at the end of season one mm-hmm. uh, in Logan's pocket, back pocket to be used in this moment. Um, now we know the show has truly progressed and gotten to a new point. And that's mm-hmm. exciting. And, you know, you, you mentioned how it's uh, a point. It was, it's been appointment viewing uh, yep. the past two months in terms of people actually watching it week to week. And now they've found a way somehow to build incredible anticipation for the third season. It's, it's truly masterful. Yeah. I have to imagine it's going to take a a leap forward, but uh, at least in time, a couple months, but do do you buy the theory that um, Shiv was in on this with Kendall? There are lots of signs of Shiv and Kendall discussing things. And you know, Shiv doesn't trust Logan after he basically strung her along for the CEO position, right? And Mm -hmm. used Rhea to kind of humiliate her. And we know that Kendall and Shiv have connected about this, but I'm not sure if that was just about Rhea's presence and not so much as big a picture with Logan. So I don't know. Uh, It's really compelling though. If there is some kind of this more like, like Shiv's an inside man, for Kendall, mm-hmm. that would be fascinating, uh, but she doesn't yeah. know. She doesn't know about the manslaughter, you know. Um, so yeah, it, it would be great if that was the case. Yeah, because you know, there's that scene at the beginning of the season where Kendall comes up to Shiv and uh, just basically says, "Like, just take care of me." Like moving forward, like pretty much like breaks down to her, uh, and she's like, "What the hell's going on?" And I can imagine from there, there might have been this. Uh, like unspoken agreement between them, maybe even blatantly spoken behind closed doors. Um, but it, 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 you know, it would be cool to have something like that have gone on. Um, I'm not sure if I totally buy it only because this is a sh- show where they've done a lot of showing and this, you know, the season finale is the first time they kind of didn't show all their cards until like the last moment. Kendall obviously had this up his sleeve. And uh, as you, as you kind of discuss, like you can kind of see some of these things, playing out in the last episode and coming to fruition. But um, I think the sleight of hand that they kind of pulled with the last scene uh, leads me to believe that there probably isn't more. Cause if so, I think then it becomes like how many back deals are we not seeing in the show? And that, right. I think that gets into shaky ground. So and this, the, the writing's too good to do something like that too. Um, you know, Real quick, before we wrap up on this, I want to shout out uh, Arian Moyad. Um, mm-hmm. Plays Stewie. Stewie. He's great. Every time I see Stewie, I just he's a welcome presence, whether he's uh, cleansing his palate with lavender or just uh, sick-burning Kendall over and over. I mean, just some ridiculous shit, but sure. great presence on the show. I also really enjoy Naomi Pierce. Yeah. Good foil, or actually not a foil, good companion <laughs> to Kendall when she was around. Um Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good guests, and uh, we'll probably hopefully get more Stewie in season three. He really was not in this season too much. No, um, looking forward to season three, and uh, hopefully back next year. Do we know that for a fact? Uh, I don't know if twenty twenty is confirmed, but season three was renewed basically when the, the season started. So it's a priority for HBO. We know that much. Jeremy Strong, man. <sighs> Great, great season for him too. Uh, he'll definitely be getting an Emmy nomination for sure. So, well, we move on to a show that is no longer up for the Emmys, although this episode might be, or this this movie might be. El Camino, Breaking right. Bad, Vince Gilligan. Um, 
man, uh, I was really excited to watch El Camino because I missed the Breaking Bad world and Better Call Saul is just fantastic. And yeah. uh, I can't wait till that. Still somehow back. underrated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact that Bob Odenkirk hasn't like won multiple Emmys at this point is always going to be like baffling. And Breaking Bad, I think also um, a show that how many did it win? Did it win one, two best drama awards? I can't. Oh, remember. yeah. It won a few. Uh, Cranston won several best yeah. actors. I know that much. So Breaking Bad, critically, uh, I think, got the gods due. Saul, I don't know why but el camino i was excited to be back and i thought el camino was pretty good there's a lot here to like but i just kind of left being like eh, do we need this do we need to know what happened with jesse next and gilligan himself has said in interviews no this is unnecessary but if this is something that netflix is gonna throw money at and gonna give gilligan the the right to make i i think it's it's a great thing to have because this is still a really, really quality long episode of television, television movie, however mm-hmm. you want to put it. How did you feel about seeing uh, Jesse Pinkman back in the fold? Yeah, it's been six years since Breaking Bad ended. And that end, last that we see of Jesse is him, you know, speeding away from the compound, you know, screaming. And it's this really fitting, like, coda to the utter shit that Jesse was going through for the past like season and a half. And I fucking, I mean the finale, the last season of breaking bad, it's universally acclaimed, but I really thought that was a really effective way to end Jesse's story. And the thing about this movie being unnecessary, I mean, obviously it's unnecessary because the ending we got was already really great and virtually flawless. The thing that I just kind of, and disappointed in is that we're just kind of seeing Jesse escape more, right? And like, mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed nah, Jesse got away. Cool. And now I know for sure Jesse got away. Like, I don't know yeah. if I really, nothing was added to Jesse's story, Jesse's arc, how we think about Jesse. Nothing was taken away, nothing was hurt either. Mm-hmm. So, I just think it's ultimately just kind of middling as far as the breaking bad high standard yep. that Gilligan has established goes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess I was just kind of hoping it would just be something a little greater than it was, you know, but what we got, as you said, is still really solid. And I love seeing Jesse Plemons. Todd is kind of the ultimate evil in a certain sense and just seeing more of him is really great but you know I mean what do you think of the flashbacks in this because I mean Todd is in the biggest flashbacks a lot of Todd but we also see Cranston we also see Banks we also see Kristen Ritter you know I mean yeah I I just don't know if they added anything beyond just being utter fan service that this movie is yeah, that's that's kind of just what I felt like it was like fan service and the you know reminders of these relationships and a lot of them came back to Jesse discovering something about himself, thinking about maybe what could have been you know in in the scene with Walt, he's encouraging Jesse to go to college, to get a business degree, to have something to fall back on, so he doesn't have to follow this life and in the scene with uh Kristen with Kristen Ritter I'm forgetting what her Jane. name was on the show Jane I believe Jane yeah with Jane she's talking about uh she's talking about this um like mindset and this theory on life and how and Jesse's saying it's so cool that you just kind of like go with the flow and she's like no like that's not what it should be like you need to like make something of your life you need to like move forward and like try to take things that are important to you and it's all just like these memories that jesse has of like times when things could have gone different or he could have approached things in his life differently um and i I thought it was interesting because i think it builds out a bit of the dilemma jesse's in throughout this is like how the hell did i get to this point where um you know i'm washing weeks of months of dirt and 
grime off my body and having flashbacks to being hosed down by Nazis in right. uh, in a cage and um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, you know as I as I sit with it more and I've thought I, I've talked to a couple people about it. Um, I'm kind of left just more like. Yeah, I really enjoy seeing Jesse Pinkman more. And like, I'm not going to complain about more time in this world, but I also think just that last scene of Jesse where he's just like breaking out, tears in his eyes, like driving the El Camino, like busting through the gate is such like a perfect like period on that character that this just kind of felt like it was unnecessary. And um, especially like that, that shootout with the, the welder. I was like, yeah. where the hell did that come from? Like <laughs> the Wild West. A little, little hokey. Did you notice that the the welder and uh, the stuntman in Gemstones the same guy? Uh, I did not until someone pointed that out to me. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Good run for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny because that shootout with, with Jesse shooting him with the second gun in his pocket, that's like very Breaking Bad, right? Like yeah. that, that kind of kill right mm-hmm. that, that that's classic stuff but because this is a movie you know two-hour movie it's kind of like a few truncated episodes of the show and we're, we're we skip around more because it's a movie breaking bad and saw for that matter gilligan made his bones for being so diligent and detail oriented with damn near everything he did, both from a technical perspective, but also just from a plotting perspective. Some people might see that as a problem with Saw, for example. At least some of the early Saw stuff was was, you know, quite slow, perhaps monotonous, depending on if, it, if it's, up, it's for you or not. But this time around, Jesse just kind of jumps around a lot, right, in El Camino. We kind of move from point to point pretty fast. And like sneaking into his, his mom's house, mom and dad's house, then leaving the house. A lot of the process that you expect to see shown to you is just passed over this time around. And I'm not sure if that's a problem, given that it is a movie and movies need to work differently, but it's a little different from what we expect from uh, the way Gilligan tells stories in this world. Uh, that being said, I really like seeing Robert Forster to be honest, I totally did not remember he was even in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, in that, he's in that one episode, Grand State, the penultimate. Um, and of course, he yep. passed away. And now he passed away the day El Camino came out. But uh, I thought he was tremendous. And he was also tremendous yep. in Twin Peaks Return two years ago. So uh, that was awesome to see. And, you know, I mean, we also get a lot of other guys. Like the tow truck dude comes back. Um, yep. Obviously, Sk- Badger and Skinny Pete are here. Uh, Huel isn't actually in El Camino, but he's in the teaser. So we know yep. Huel actually does get out of the, um, <laughs> the room safe house or wherever he was yeah. locked up the in the end. Room. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of other stuff. You know, we, we, we find out that Lydia does in fact die from the, the, the rice and poisoning, like cool, mm-hmm. cool comment, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the, the sense that, nothing truly was added and that ultimately I think it just comes down to what kind of fan you are. Are you happy just to spend any more time in the world because you know, there's a, a high floor when it comes to Gilligan telling stories that you're so okay with that. If that's enough for you, then I'm sure El Camino was really satisfying, but because it was a, I don't know. I just, I just wish it was a little more um, consequential mm-hmm. given the, the secrecy of it, given the, the marketing, um, you know, and like, honestly, like seeing Walt and Jesse again at that diner scene, which probably we assume takes place like the season two range, maybe season three, mm-hmm. given that where they are as characters. I mean, we get a yeah, bitch. Awesome. But like, I don't know, like, did that did that convo add anything? I don't know if it did. It, it, it was just kind of a kind of showy seeing Walt again, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think it added something in terms of, I think it actually shows a little bit more complication of the dynamic because by season five, Walt has gone pretty much full heel. And especially if right. you watch like the recap uh, prior to the, um, the movie, uh, it actually shows the scene where Walt's like, um, 
like you know give me one more like get pinkman and like how he pretty much like sentences jesse to the torture that he he endures and uh i think to kind of shine back on that there was a point where walt wasn't pure evil with this that he actually had some some genuine regard for jesse and right wanted to see him do better i think does remind you of how far things had come and just adds a little bit of depth but i think overall what you described is just the the basic problem with this it's like was any of this necessary did any of this really add that much um i don't think it did but it's also just like okay yes spent two more hours with jesse pinkman got to mm-hmm. see mike and wall and uh you know it, it's it's still it's like we i think we say this a lot with things that we think are really quality but still better than most of the other things that are out there and it's like pizza breaking bad mm-hmm. is pizza it's still good even when it's bad so right <laughs> any last thoughts uh really stoked for breaking uh, better call Saul's return next year um yeah. last season this, of that too i believe right uh they haven't said that but i i think there's probably maybe two left at max um that being said i'm pretty sure this is the last time we see aaron paul as pinkman um you know i think if, if they were to go back and show him doing shit in the last guy just don't know how you connect that to the larger breaking bad world and by having el camino take place in albuquerque and involve all the characters that were still around again and feel like a continuation of the show in a true sense it doesn't seem like they were interested in truly like uplifting the the status quo we come came to know so i i don't i don't think they would ever go back and do it and it wouldn't make sense to see Pinkman in the black and white Saul future scenes at the mm-hmm. Cinnabon with Jimmy. I, I don't know if that, that that's realistic either. So this is probably the last of it. Yeah. You know? And we'll have to settle for Aaron Paul on Westworld. <laughs> and also on uh, Bojack. If you uh, yeah, final season of that. Yeah. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this week. What do we got next week, Dave? Uh, Watchmen season premiere on HBO reviews our are, are strong, Hell not yeah. quite as strong as Parasites reviews. New movie from Bong Joon Ho. Super excited for that. Uh, the Lighthouse is out. Zombieland Two, Maleficent. Lots of movies for you. So pick what you want. Obviously, uh, The Laundromat. Uh, Steven Soderbergh, Meryl Streep, uh, Antonio Banderas. Uh, that is on Netflix after being in a few theaters that uh, come Friday. And also new music from Cash Doll and Clipping. So plenty of shit to talk about, my friend. Hell yeah. And uh, hit that subscribe button and go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to follow us and catch all of our takes on that. And again, Nostalgia Pod on Twitter. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Yeah.